Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We'll be focusing our attention for our time and study together in Matthew 5. So you do well to have a Bible open to that place. It's good to see you this morning. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. We are excited to meet you, to get to know you, and we're thankful that you've decided to join us for this time of worship this morning. And uh, I hope that the things that we're going to study will be, uh, here is my hope. Uh, These things may challenge you, and these things may build you up. And I hope that at the same time, they will do both. Uh, But I hope that when you, uh, uh, this is one of those where I almost don't want to tell anyone the title of my lesson before we get going. Uh, Sometimes when you hear a title, and I used to, I don't have it as much in this congregation, but when I worked in other places, people would ask me, "What, what are you preaching about this morning before the lesson? And I know that sometimes when I tell them, they would, they're thinking, they would never say this, they're thinking, oh, I've heard that before. And they tune out, and maybe they even are, you know, kind of checked out for the whole service because they think they know what I'm going to say. I think this is one of those topics. So I'm not going to tell you for a minute what we're going to talk about until uh, you might know if you looked down online. But uh, I appreciate you being here, and I'm looking forward to challenging and uh, building us up for a few minutes this morning. If you're joining us online, we're thankful that you are with us, and uh, we want you to know we're we're here, but we also understand that some can't be here, and uh, so we appreciate you uh, following along and being a part of us in a different format this morning. Matthew 5 and verse 43. Matthew 5 and verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what, are you, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus talks about the conventional wisdom of his day in verse 43. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus rejects that. And he calls on his disciples to reject that. He says, you need to love even your enemies. I don't know about you, but that raises some questions for me. Because it makes me ask the question, are we really supposed to love evil people? Or are we really supposed to love dangerous people? Are we supposed to love people who differ from us religiously, who believe things that we believe are not just wrong, but will condemn us to hell if we believe and practice them? Are we supposed to love people who differ from us politically, People who live in a different lifestyle. Just what does it mean to love not just the people who love us, but the people who are our enemies? So this year we've been studying house rules, principles for Christian homes. And we've gone through a whole lot of different ideas and categories uh, throughout the course of the year. This is the last time we'll be talking about this this year. And I thought, that it would be fitting for us to wrap up the whole idea of what it should mean to both teach and practice things in our homes that are reflective of the values we hold as disciples of Jesus by talking about love. And the way we're going to do that is to say that to apply Jesus' teaching, we love everyone. You see why I didn't want to tell you where we're starting? Because if you read that, you say, oh yeah, of course, we love everybody. But the everybody if we really think about it and try to apply it, may be a little too inclusive for us to really feel comfortable. And I want to try to get at the heart of why that would be and how that challenges us. 
You see, all homes should be characterized by love. All homes, Christian homes and non-Christian homes. But the question Jesus raises is, does that love end at the border of our home? Does that have a, a circle that we love certain people and not others? That's the challenge I want us to take on for a few minutes this morning. How do we demonstrate love toward the broader world? How do we love even our enemies? So the first thing I want to say about this is we love everyone, which means we love those who are not like us. So look again at verse 43 with me. Verse 43 says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. When he says you have heard that it was said, he means this is sort of the typical Jewish understanding of his day. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So you love your neighbor. That is, I think, in, in probably the most literal sense, the people who you are closest to, the people who live around you, the people you know, their kids go to school with your kids. Their kids play sports with your kids. You see them at the grocery store. You know what they drive. You wave at them as you drive past them. These are the people who are closest to you. You know them. He says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You see, there are other people besides your neighbors, besides the people you know well, and you don't have to love them. You can hate them. That's fine. Hate your enemy. You see, there are a lot of people in the Jewish mindset of Jesus' day that you don't need to love. You don't need to love Greeks and Romans. I mean, they're foreigners. They bring foreign teaching. They believe in foreign gods. They don't worship our God. They don't discipline themselves. They are unclean. You don't have to love them. They're your enemies. In fact, there are also a lot of Jews you don't have to love. That is, you don't have to love tax collectors and prostitutes. You don't have to love, and you see this throughout Jesus' life, you don't have to love the people who are sick or who are blind or who are lepers. Those are people who are just sort of beneath you. You need to love the people who are kind of like you, but the people who aren't, eh, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Jesus says, that is faulty. The idea that there's a group of people you love and a group of people you can freely hate, that's not the way his disciples are going to live. So verse 44, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So he says, love your enemies too. Negate the second half of verse 43. Don't love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. Verse 46 for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So he says, if you love those who love you, that's not hard. Everybody can do that. Godless people do that. Reprobate people do that. People who have no interest in God or who serve foreign gods, they do that without any trouble. He says, if you greet only, verse 47, look at verse 47. If you greet only your brothers, if you greet only the people who are like you, what more are you doing than others? Everybody can do that. That's not hard. So Jesus says, higher. A higher standard is what he calls us to. And a higher standard is this. We love those who are not like us. We live in a world that loves people like them. You be different. Christian homes should be different. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I find a powerful illustration of this in the life and the outreach of Jesus. Because Jesus himself is the kind of person, well, first of all, he's the kind of person that nobody is like. I mean, Jesus could easily say, all of you people are far beneath me. Who do I know that's really like me? 
I don't know anybody who sees the world the way I see the world, who acts the way I act. And Jesus could have easily distanced himself from people who were not like him. And yet, he never seems to do that. He does not push people away and say, I don't have to love you because you're not like me. So I want to show you what Jesus does. Look in Matthew chapter 9 with me. Leave your marker here. We'll come back. What Jesus does is to love and reach out to people who are specifically not like him. Matthew 9 and verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus here has a big dinner with tax collectors and sinners. They come to him, they eat with them, and the Pharisees don't understand it. He says, Jesus says, forging these connections with people who are not like me is the whole reason I've come. I'm well, they're sick, I am reaching out to them. And then he says, if you look in verse 13, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is what God wants. God wants us to reach out to people who may not be like us and show mercy instead of showing condemnation and hatred. This is a part of loving everyone, is loving people who are not like us. Jesus shows us that, and the people are drawn to him in spite of the differences. They know that he is living in a higher way than they are, but that that's not creating distance between them. They want to come to him. And so it says, this is uh, Luke 7, verse 34, the son of man. Now, this is an accusation they're making against him, so there's kind of some exaggeration to it. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, you hear they're saying, what a terrible thing. It's like you're a glutton and you're a drunkard. You're a terrible person, and you even, you even are friends with these kinds of people. Luke 15 and verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eat with them, eats with them. They are right. He is their friend. He does accept them. So how is that possible if Jesus operates on the love only those in my group mentality? Scripture teaches us to practice hospitality. And hospitality is the Greek word xenophilia, love of strangers. Love of people who are not like you, extending love, showing love. That's what Christian homes should be characterized by. So here is the problem. When people are not like us, we respond in a couple of typical ways. We tend to condescend to people who are not like us. The differences between us and them are bad for them. If they were more like us, then we would be on equal footing. We could love them freely. But because they're not like us, those differences are bad. And when people are not like us, we tend to assume the worst about them. This is where we get the idea of stereotypes. Because if you're not like me, there must be a reason, and it's probably not good. So I'm going to assume I know why you're not like me, and I'm going to characterize that in a bad way. So if we're from the South, then people from the North are all bad in this way, in this way, in this way. And if you're from the North, then people from the South are all bad in this way or this way or this way. If we're white, then all black people 
are this way or this way or this way. And if we're black, then all white people are this way or this way or this way. And we begin to say, I know the differences and the reason for the differences and the reason I don't trust people or I don't like people or I don't want to love people from that other group is because they're not like me. Sometimes we do this with classes. We say things that, or people are, or even behaviors are low class. Or we say things like, you know, I would never say that, do that, go there, wear that, drive that, have that in my yard, have that on my house, hang out with those people, go to that place. Well, why would we never do that? Because we're better than that. And you hear in that, that hatred of a group that's not like us. And when people are not like us, we tend to separate ourselves from them. That's just what we tend to do. We just feel more comfortable with our kind of people. And those separations are precisely what Jesus is addressing. Don't just love your brothers. Don't just greet your brothers. Don't just love your neighbor. Love all people. And I am suggesting that one of the places this is most taught, practiced, and reinforced is in the home. Home is where we learn how to love others or to hate others. Home is where we learn what the differences between us and other people really mean and how important they are or unimportant they are. And I am suggesting that our homes need to be places where we teach and practice love for people not like us. So let me come a little closer to an application there. What do we say about people who are different from us? It doesn't take long if you have kids especially. Kids begin to notice when things are different. When people are different, they use different words. Their skin is a different color. They talk with a different accent. And they begin to say, well, what's that about? What does that mean? And they may even ask us parents. Sometimes... Parents, we think things about people who are not like us that are not right. And when we articulate those things, supposedly in the privacy of our homes, they begin to be formative for our children. And so we just pass on thoughts that are not right, and they become their thoughts that are not right. And so a lack of love is passed on from generation to generation. I grew up, as I'm sure you did, hearing jokes about other races, about a number of different races, by the way. I heard some of those jokes at home. I heard some of those jokes among people from church, some from other kids at school. I was handed the belief as a young man that people who disagreed with the teachings of the church I attended were bad people. They were bad people, not just that they taught something wrong or believed something wrong, but that they were bad. And that played out in several ways. Mainly, it meant that I did not understand them or respect them, and I dismissed their faith. And when I began to talk to them, sometimes I did not behave in the proper way. We hand these things down in a million offhand comments. So I ask us parents, how are we talking at home about people who are not like us? What do we say about interracial relationships? What do we say about people from the other political party? 
What do we say about people from other countries? How are we teaching love for people not like us? Who do we include? When we have a birthday party for our children, yes, there used to be birthday parties, in our sleepovers, in our meals, in our home, in our invitations, are we greeting our brothers only? Or do we love all people? Maybe I should ask it this way. If our homes are producing people who only love people who are like them, are we really following Jesus? Jesus' teaching and Jesus' example. There is a challenge here to love those who are not like us. Let's go back to Matthew 5. The second thing is that we love those who don't treat us well. What about those enemies? Verse 44, Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now in verse 44, my version only says the words uh, loving and praying for people. Other manuscripts, and your version might have if you're reading the New King James, for example, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I think it's obvious that these people are not treating us like they should. They are hurting us. They are spitefully using us. Back in verse 39 to 42, he talks about all the different things where they're hitting us and we turn the other cheek to them and we don't resist an evil person. They're taking our clothes and we let them have them. So here is what Jesus is saying. We don't just love those who are like us. He also expects us to love the mean and the vicious. It's right there. So chew on that for a minute. What would it be like to be persecuted in these ways? How would you feel if the boss called you in and said, I saw you praying the other day, and I just want you to know that's not the image we want for our company. And so we've decided to let you go. What if Someone sees you reading your Bible and a police officer comes and approaches you and says, I've had some complaints that you're engaged in some sort of hate speech, so I'm going to have to take you in. If you suffer persecution, it's one thing to think about, how am I going to deal with that situation? But here is the question, how would you feel if you saw that person again? How would you feel if you saw your boss How would you treat them after you had been persecuted simply because you believe and follow Jesus? Jesus is using an extreme example to say that we love those who don't treat us well. This is Christianity. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. That kind of love is what he calls us to. Why? Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He says, the reason we love those who don't treat us well is because we're following a God who does not discriminate in giving blessings to evil and good people. Weather doesn't discriminate. God sends sun and rain to all people, whether they're good or evil, whether they're kind to him or not. 
So God's goodness doesn't depend on people being kind to him, and our goodness should not depend on people being kind to us. Now that's much higher than loving those who love us or greeting the people who are like us. That's much, much higher. And so he says in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't think Jesus is saying that perfection is required before we please God. I believe what he is saying is shocking us. Be more like God and less like what you want. The the standard is much higher than what you tend to aspire to. So the New Testament repeatedly instructs us not to get revenge for ourselves, repeatedly. I'll give you a few examples here. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is 1 Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Romans 12.17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul even tells us in that last passage to feed our enemies. And in doing so, we can defuse the situation. When you start to see something said over and over and over again in the New Testament, which is a range of documents of all kinds, letters to all kinds of different people in different situations, and yet over and over again, New Testament authors and Jesus himself keep saying, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. Don't repay evil for evil. Bless the people who hurt you and curse you and persecute you over and over again. You begin to see this is the lifeblood of our faith. And if we are trying to take revenge for ourselves and treat others the way we think they deserve, then we're not listening. This is a challenge for us. This is a principle that needs to be taught and practiced and laid out in our homes. We don't get even with people That's not our job. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's his job, and he's on the job, and he'll take care of that as he decides is best. What's going to happen in our homes is that our kids are naturally going to want revenge when other people treat them poorly. Our kids will ask us, how do I respond when someone treats me in a certain way? And I am not advocating. I've talked about this before. I am not advocating that we send our kids into dangerous situations unequipped. I am not advocating that we let our kids become punching bags for other children. I am saying that as parents, we must always teach from the perspective that we love even these people because revenge is not our job. I love this passage. I found this this week as I was researching this in Exodus 23 because this is one of those places where it makes you think, man, God really knows us. Because this, I can totally see myself doing this. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with it. So the picture is, you see that there's something that your neighbor has that, that really, if, if you were on good terms, you would easily do it. Hey, oh, that's... My, my, my neighbor's cow got out. Okay, well, I got to go help him. But if he's your enemy, it sort of changes the calculation, right? You, you may turn your head and say, wow, I didn't see anything. Serves him right. Or you say, you know what? He can handle that. His, his donkey's got a problem. That's his donkey. It's not my business. And so we find little ways. Do you hear it? Little ways to try to get revenge. Little ways to get back at them. And we can be awfully petty. 
when we have enemies. Often our revenge takes the form of these little types of bitterness. We chuckle, we mumble to ourselves, well, it serves him right. And God says, no, no, don't treat others that way. Even in Exodus, in the shadow of Mount Sinai, he says, no, no, that's not the way my people will be. You will love those, even those who have made themselves your enemies. You know, this happens in homes. In past generations, families and clans would feud with other clans. The hatred was passed down from generation to generation. You have a son and you've got to train him. We're Hatfields. We don't have anything to do with those McCoys. Let me tell you the history of why we hate. And so we would then bring a new child into a new world full of hate. I suspect that we wouldn't go to that extreme. But I wonder if we're not similar. When I spew venom about someone to my children, when I assassinate somebody's character in front of them, when I refuse to do good for that person and I say, well, it serves them right, when I let my bitterness affect my behavior in obvious ways, what am I teaching? What am I showing? Do I show them love for those who don't treat me well? When my kids come to me in anger about someone else and I teach them to get even, maybe not even directly through confrontation, but through underhanded means, when I nurse their grudge with them, or when I just let them sit in it without addressing it, what am I teaching them? Loving our enemies is hard, but we make it harder when we immerse our homes in anger and bitterness and anger and retribution. That is not the will of the Lord. We love those who don't treat us well, and that's going to be a hard principle to live by in our homes. The third thing I want to say is, We love without necessarily approving. Somebody is wondering about this. Well, what do we mean by love here? I mean, after all, do we really love everybody? The world is full of people I don't agree with. Some people do things that I believe are sinful. They're harmful and dangerous in some cases. Some people hold opinions. In fact, a whole lot of people hold opinions that I think are incorrect. What does it mean to love them? And I want to suggest for a moment that Christian families need to know the difference between loving and approving. Look in verse 45 with me. Verse 45. It says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So Jesus bases our view of love on the Father's view of love. How does God love? Jesus specifies he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, on the just and on the unjust. So God loves everyone. God so loved the world, the world, that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But does God's love for the whole world, does God's love for everyone mean that he approves of everyone? This verse says that God sends his son on the just and the unjust. Does God approve of the unjust? Hey, it's fine. You just keep being unjust. There's really no difference between just and unjust. That's not the God of the Bible who says justice and injustice are the same. I've got no problem with them. God's love and God's approval are two different things. And God can love his creation and still not approve of the choices that they make. This, this idea that that love and approval are the same thing. 
That is a fallacy of modern thought. That's something that our culture is trying to sell us. That you don't love someone unless you approve of them and you don't approve of someone unless you love them. In our time, we are told that we only love people when we agree and accept and even champion their beliefs and choices. Sometimes disagreeing with someone in our time, you guys know this, but I want to point it out. In our time, just if I disagree with someone in their sexuality or their ideas or their behavior, I am told I hate. I am hateful or I am a bigot. But God is able to love without approving. And we need to be able to say, even to our children, that we can disapprove of something without hating the people who practice it. So just because I disagree with some person or some idea or some practice does not mean I hate them. Jesus did this all the time. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, does he approve of their sin? When Jesus engages with prostitutes, which he does on several occasions, does that mean that Jesus wants all women to become prostitutes? It's fine, you know, you want to become a prostitute or you don't. That's fine. Either choice is fine with me. I love you anyway. I approve of your choices. Jesus loved people, but Jesus still maintained a holy purity. And often what we miss is that Jesus then calls those people to that purity. He teaches them. He tries to guide them out of their sins. Go and sin no more, he tells the woman caught in adultery. Jesus is able to show love without showing approval. And in some way, because of course he's Jesus, to bring those things together in a way that people saw the love and wanted to move toward his approval. So, our love for people needs to be distinguished from our approval. This Jesus, this same Jesus, who tells us to love our enemies, turns around two chapters later in Matthew 7 and tells us not to cast our pearls before swine or give what's holy to the dogs. This same Jesus says, beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, Jesus tells us to love people who are our enemies, and yet we can acknowledge that some people are dangerous and evil and corrupt. And those two things can go together. We can hold both those things in our minds at the same time. We love them, but they are dangerous. They are evil. They are corrupt. So what I mean is, our love for people doesn't mean necessarily that we trust them. Some people are untrustworthy, but I don't have to hate them. Our love for people doesn't mean that I need to put myself into vulnerable situations with them. There are some people who are going to take advantage of me. That doesn't mean I have to hate them, but it also doesn't mean that I have to approve of that. Our love of others doesn't mean we endorse them. I think we know this. I think we know this. What person is there? even within our families, even our closest friends, that we say, you know what? I endorse and approve of everything they do and say. I wouldn't even say that about myself. So why would we assume that to love somebody means everything they do is great? There is a distinction to be made here. Well, what does that look like at home? Well, as many of the things that we've said this morning, it comes out in how we talk about people perhaps most. If we love people, we're going to be able to be balanced 
about our evaluation of them and to be able to talk in that balanced way. To say, on the one hand, there are some things about them and the things they do that I don't approve of. But I can also acknowledge parts of their behavior and character that are good. Sometimes it's going to come out in the compassion that we show. Do we ever try to understand why someone would live in a way that we don't approve of? What's going on in their minds that makes them choose this? Do we try to think about where people are and why they're doing what they're doing? Do we leave any room for redemption? The idea that somebody might change and the blessing that would be? Do we explain why this lifestyle is not the best thing or is not God's will? The whys come up in those conversations that happen at home. And perhaps the best test of this, in my opinion, the, the, the litmus test for me about how I am communicating love for people that I don't approve of is how would I expect my kids to treat a person that they met who was like this? Just without any prompting, they encounter someone. Maybe it's someone who left their wife for another woman. Maybe it's someone who is living in homosexuality. Maybe it's someone who belongs to a religious group that I disagree with. Maybe it's someone that I know, they know this person has lied to me and hurt me. How are my kids going to act if they find themselves in a situation with them? Are they going to respond with hatred or are they going to respond with compassion? How will they live? How will they respond to me as a test for what I'm teaching and practicing? This is also true for family members. You know, we'll always love one another, but we're not always going to approve of what we do. We're not going to approve of what people in our family do. We're not going to approve of what each other does at all times. And as my kids get older, I want them to know on the one hand, I will always love them, always. And on the other hand, I may not always approve of their choices. And that those things I can hold together at the same time. Show them love while not showing them approval for every choice. I want to also point out that this is true with people we disagree with religiously. There are a number of groups whose teachings and religious practices I disagree with. Do I badmouth them? Do we see good in them? Can we say this is good? This person did this and I relate to that and I connect to that and that is a good thing. Can I balance kindness and disapproval in them? And again, how would my child react if they met someone from one of those groups? Would they assume that because they belong to this religious group, they're you know, secretly hugely corrupt and evil? a monster underneath their skin? Or might they assume good about them while disagreeing with certain things they teach and believe? So the real question here is, are we showing love and disapproval? Or are we allowing the disapproval we feel to overwhelm the idea of love so that it becomes a lot more like hate? Jesus teaches us to love everyone. And that love can still be communicated 
without necessarily approving. So here it is. I said in the beginning, I plan to build us up and I plan to challenge us. It is one thing to say, yes, we love everybody. It is another thing to get down to the nuts and bolts of that and think about how at our homes we are showing love outside the borders of our homes to those who are not like us, to those who don't treat us well, and to those with whom we disagree. It is at home that we have a a beautiful opportunity to learn how to love flawed people because we're all flawed people. And when we interact with one another in the home, we learn how love can help to transform that into a higher, better kind of behavior. And when we expand that love beyond the borders of our home, it has the same hope that we can help others through the transforming power of love and the teaching of the gospel to make other people better. That's what Jesus did. And that's the challenge that lies before us. So my question to you is, what kind of love shows up in your home? Is it just love for us? Is it just love for our family? Or is it truly love for everyone? Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, we thank you so much for the great love that you have shown us, that you have loved us despite the fact that we have rebelled against you. We have not been what we should. We were weak and needy and sinners. And yet, Father, you came in your love and your grace, and you have made us alive in Christ. You've saved us from our sins. And, Father, you desire to live with us forever. And this is almost too much for us, Father. And yet in our gratitude, Father, we ask that you'll help us to be transformed by your love, to be loving the way you love us, that we'll learn how to interact with other people and how to pass love on to the next generation and how to live love in our homes that is more reflective of the great love you have for your world. Father, we are challenged by these ideas because sometimes we are tempted to love just those who are like us. We're challenged by these ideas, Father, because some people don't treat us the way they should. And we're challenged because, Father, sometimes we don't know how to distinguish between the things that we approve of and the things that, the way you taught us to love. Father, we need your help. We ask that you'll be with our homes, be with our parents, our husbands and wives, be with those who are trying to learn love in every form, that our, our homes will reflect and pass on the value of true Christian love. And so be a light to the world around us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. This is the time we've set aside for whoever needs to make something known to this group or to be baptized into Christ to come and make that known to the church. So if you're here and you're ready to do that, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.